Hi, I'm Lona Maseka from South Africa, a celebrity TV chef and member of the Chef's Manifesto. In 2015, world leaders agreed to 17 Sustainable Development Goals, goals that have the power to create a better world by 2030, by ending poverty, fighting inequality, and addressing the urgency of climate change. Good food is a foundation for everything, providing the energy needed to fight for this better future for everyone. Everyone, everywhere. Without good food, no other progress is possible. Good food begins with farmers, it's nutritious and saves lives. It powers people and economies. Good food is also vulnerable to disruption and not always a choice. Good food makes progress possible and is about love, love of flavor, health and celebration, love of people and the planet, love of your neighbor and 7 billion others we do not personally know. Good food makes progress possible. To find out more, follow at goodfoodforall underscore SDG2 on Instagram. Share with us what good food means to you and what you're doing to contribute to good food for all. We the chefs, we the chefs, are working together to create a better food future. future. I am George, Andy, Tom from Nigeria, Switzerland, Los Angeles, London, India, New Zealand. Ingredients are medicine. Ingredients are superpowers. Food is joy. Food is love. Food is, is life. life. Hello and welcome to the last episode of the Chef's Manifesto podcast, season two. I'm your host, eco-chef Tom Hunt, a columnist, zero-waste activist, and author of the new regenerative cookbook, Eating for Pleasure, People and Planet. In this four-part season, we've explored through food how COVID-19 has affected people all over the world, talking to chefs and experts about how we can build back better. The Chef's Manifesto stands for a new breed of chef that has a sustainable approach to food, helping create real change and a more resilient food system. In today's bumper episode, we talk to five chefs and key protagonists who are advocating for positive social and environmental change around the world. We chat about the future of restaurants and our responsibility to our staff, but also generally to people and planet. We hear from chefs who have tragically had to close their restaurants and from those who have managed to adapt and reopen. In reverse order of appearance, today's closing interview is with Canadian chef Suzanne Barr, one of North America's most respected chefs, who works as a passionate advocate and supporter of Black, Indigenous and People of Colour or BIPOC communities. Our penultimate interview is with World Food Programme Ambassador and Egyptian TV chef Manal Alalem. Mark Graham, Director of Culinary at Kellogg's, talks to us about his experiences running Kellogg's Global Culinary Operations. And Camilla Seedler, chef owner of the Copenhagen-based restaurant Lola, talks to us about how she stayed afloat during COVID-19. But first up, I'd like to welcome a plant-based chef from Hong Kong called Peggy Jan. Chef Peggy is a visionary deemed by many as a champion of Hong Kong's food scene, using her businesses as a platform to draw attention to a wider range of issues surrounding food sustainability. As an authority on ecological cuisine, 
Chef Peggy is regularly commissioned to develop educational programs for schools, consulting for other industries and startups, and has established herself as a training ground for young professionals. Chef Peggy Chan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. First of all, I'd love to hear about where you're at in your food journey and also um, your experiences of the pandemic as well. Absolutely. So during these extremely trying times since late January, February, everyone has suffered through a lot of pain. And we're currently in Hong Kong, we're at our third wave of return of um, COVID cases. So we're starting the uh, strictest lockdown tomorrow, actually. So restaurants are all going to be closed. They can only do takeaway. There's no sit-in or anything like that, which is difficult for Hong Kong restaurants. So many of them actually rely on dinner service. Um, so we were lucky. Uh, we decided to close a restaurant last year um, and then in December um, due to many months of protests. So for us, I guess the silver lining was that we went through the process of, okay, what, what can we do to make more money? You know, can we do hampers and gift certificates and do takeaways, even though we were serving like higher end food by now. Um, so we opened up like delivery portals to do grassroots food. Um, and then we even did like vegan cheeses and sold vegan cheeses <laughs> from our sh shop for a good month, uh, which really helped, you know. And then when we decided to close, that was December. So how we transitioned was that actually I had already been planning to um, do more consultancy work. So uh, since last year, we had been um, offered some side jobs and um, to help other food service operators transition into more sustainable operations. So that could be, you know, whether it's a system change method or in menu planning or even just down to sourcing. So since January, we've transitioned into consultancy and that's pretty much what we do now. Yeah. I imagine with your incredible knowledge of sustainable food systems, you're needed more than ever during this time. Other restaurateurs are struggling. Um, your advice must be so helpful. Well, I absolutely hope so. Yes. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think that what we're seeing is that everyone is trying to find new ways to solve this issue that is very apparent to us. You know, our, our food system is extremely fragile. That's what COVID had actually um, enforced on, on us and exposed uh, of the food system. And it's built on a platform of just negligence, negligence within the cycles, um, the chain of the cycle. And so it it's so entirely broken that now is really the time to reset everything. And I think the food service operators that we work with and the companies that we work with all um, have this heart and this purpose or they understand better now what to do and where to find help. Yeah. So it seems like you're kind of in a great position to help people rebuild the industry. As well, you're, you're a plant-based chef. Mm -hmm. uh, is it, are you seeing a movement towards more plants within these restaurants as they look to reopen? Yeah, and not just only more plants. I think you know in the last two years with the meat alternative and the um, alternative dairy coming into the market, people have kind of swayed towards using Impossibles and Beyonds on everything. Um, but now it's like 
people are more aware of like sourcing and they want to source more local. They want to get like more biodiverse ingredients. And so this is kind of where, um, you know, our forte is we just go into like all the crannies and nooks to like look for the most special ingredients that aren't often used and then introduce them to their menus. So yeah, we help a lot of our um, customers, our clients um, build menus and write menus as well. Which sounds also like much more economic and resilient way to, to rebuild your menu because the impossible burger and these meat alternatives of course have a have a place and they're part of this transition towards a more plant focused food system but it sounds like there's there's more to it than that in terms of like the offering of wider range of more biodiverse ingredients and whole foods yeah totally um and i would say that you know one of the first things that happened when uh, COVID hit, um, people became, you know, people started strangling for just like looking for food and they were worried that, you know, all borders are going to be closed and we were out of flour and rice for a little while and obviously toilet paper, but like there needs to come to a point where we need to understand that building a more resilient food system really starts by mobilizing our neighbors, mobilizing our farmers and and chefs, everyone who's in this food system together to create a more stronger um, chain. So um, what I've been able to see just um, locally as well as in Philippines, one of my friends started the Move Food Initiative. So she had been able to help over 40,000 farmers um, move their food away from their farm so that, you know, she can help them sell it. And now she's moved a training education focus NGO to now something that can be done as a distributor online. So she helps sell these vegetables and keeps these farmers uh, resilient. Um, and as you see, chefs everywhere have really just shifted from just, you know, being chefs and celebrities of sorts to now um, finding purpose and being advocates and activists. Um, so I think it's so important that during this time that we mobilize and strengthen our bonds and create a more resilient future. That's a really interesting and powerful outlook. I mean, obviously, the Chef's Manifesto is at the vanguard of this movement, and we've all been part of it for a long time. But I'm really, I'm really um, pleased to hear your opinion that this is, I mean, obviously, a very tragic global event. But also, it's interesting to hear about the positives that can come from it, and how how that's perhaps catalyzing the changes we need to see. Mm-hmm. This is the last of our short special series on the pandemic. And I just wondered if you had any kind of any other advice for our listeners about how they can really build back better and continue or to improve or or reopen if they can. Absolutely. I think this time of, you know, going, stopping, going, stopping really is a time for us to reflect and to re-educate, um, all of us need to be learning a new set of skills 
new set of techniques, we need to look further to what our textbooks used to teach us. Um, Chef's Manifesto is a great platform to learn about what each and every one of us in the industry can do. Uh, chefs no longer are only chefs, you know, and we've known this for the longest time. So I hope to see every single cook be a part of uh, the change and be part of um, the system where they have power to be able to actually change policies and to drive for more sustainable and equal platform for everyone. So that's where I would like to see our future. Thank you, Chef Peggy. It's a wonderful opportunity to be able to speak to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. See you next time. Bye-bye. Next, I'll be talking with Chef Camilla Seidler down the line from Copenhagen. Camilla has worked at some of the most prestigious kitchens in the world, including Mugaritz, Manoir au Quatre Saisons, and Geist, before accepting an invitation from Noma's co-founder Klaus Meyer to establish a culinary school and restaurant called Gustu in Bolivia in 2012. For her work at Gustu, Camilla was awarded Latin America's Best Female Chef by the World's 50 Best Restaurant List. Last year, Chef Camilla opened her first solo restaurant, Lola, in her hometown, Copenhagen, Denmark. Building off her work in Bolivia, Camilla's new restaurant has a social enterprise called Lola Impact, a job inclusion and training project that targets people on the periphery of society, helping them get involved in culinary courses. Chef Camilla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Pleasure to catch up. First of all, how, how have you been? I've been good, thanks. Denmark has been uh, very uh, lightly touched by COVID compared to other countries. So in that, in, in that way, we are, we're very lucky. Um, but it was, it's also, of course, been a difficult time for not just our business, but all businesses. Uh, but especially tourist-wise, it's, it's complicated. And so did you have to close your restaurant and have you reopened? Yes, we closed for 12 weeks, completely shut. And then um, now we've reopened, 18th of May, and things have been uh, going crazy. People have been coming and uh, spending money and drinking wine like it was their last day. It's a very strange uh, pattern we see here. It's almost like people have been saving all the money they didn't spend during the, the lockdown that suddenly they came out and spent it in restaurants. Uh, so f- for us, that's been extremely lucky. I'm so glad for you. And so you run uh, an initiative called Lola Impact as well as Lola the Restaurant. Did that manage to continue operating in any form during the lockdown or is it still continuing now you've reopened? Uh, so basically what we do is we, we take some people in uh, who are finding it difficult to, to either stay in school or find their way to the labour market. Uh, so same goes for everything. If we're not open for business, then then nobody's working. Uh, so uh, now we're back uh, back on track. We opened a pop up. Uh, we're supposed to open the, a second restaurant. Uh, different concept, different place, everything. Uh, and of course, that was in the middle of this. So now we started up slowly with a Lola pop up instead. And between the two restaurants, we've been able to maintain uh, all our staff and then hire 12 new people among service and kitchen. So uh, so in that way, Lola Impact continues and, uh, and Lola continues. So that's, uh, that's good. We hope it's not a bubble and, uh, and that it will be continuous business as usual. 
Yeah. And so are there government regulations in place such as social distancing? And have you had to kind of adapt to survive in any way? I mean, we, we had to take out some tables, of course, uh, to, to create a, a greater distance between them. But, but nothing else. We haven't changed our concept. We, uh, we opened up with a new menu, of course, because three months later, we, uh, we have uh, completely different ingredients. Um, but it was good. I mean, gastronomically speaking, if it had to happen at some point, it was the, boring, the most boring season uh, at all. So uh, we got past that and then opened up with strawberries and, and asparagus and and fresh peas and everything. So in that way, we didn't have to change anything besides the menu. Oh, that's great. I'm glad it's been relatively smooth um, for you. That's really good. And how about other restaurants? Yeah, in Copenhagen, have you seen any interesting, innovative changes? Or have you got any advice for other people around the world on how they could build back better? Um, I think we've seen a lot of creativity here. Uh, Norma creating uh, the famous burger. We've seen a mess who's gone have fine dining restaurant and have fried chicken and wine bar just to get another crowd in the doors. Also right now, Copenhagen, as most bigger cities, are hit by lack of tourism. So all the Copenhageners go outside the city to, to, to have the vacation. So right now it's very slow. So on top of that, you also have social distancing and you have the economy shaky and everything. So it's all of these things you have to, to be creative to, to survive. We build a petan court on a huge empty lot that we have. So that's been, been a fun thing. So everybody's doing their thing if they can, but also again, if you're in the middle of the city in a, in a small restaurant, then it's difficult to, to spread out. So, but I think people being creative, some are hit harder than others. Uh, and I think anybody with a garden uh, right now or uh, some sort of outdoor serving is definitely more blessed than others. So what's, what's Petanque? Is it, is it that French sport game? It's the game where you can have a glass of rosé in one hand and play, uh, <laughs> play with a ball in the other hand. Oh, wow. So you've built a court? Yes. So this is another separate space, but still a Lola project or...? It's uh, it's on our property, so it's uh, it's in our back garden. So people can sit and eat lunch and have a look at the people playing. Uh, it's on a rampart, the whole restaurant. So it's it's kind of in the bottom of that. Yeah, it's interesting to hear how creative you've all been with, yeah, these new little kind of sidelines and initiatives to yeah improve. Yeah, inspiring. It's it's been fun, and it's also I think it's. We are creative business, and this is also just a way of, of seeing how, how people will handle a, a difficult situation. And, and it's interesting to see and follow all our colleagues. I think the, the collaboration between restaurants have definitely grown, uh, at least between uh, some that normally you maybe you wouldn't have a lot to do with, you know, not people-wise, but more we're very casual and others are super fine dining and, uh, and it's a different vibe and everybody you know has the passion for food and good ingredients and everything and come together and and try and create some of these talks and, and just have the conversation like are you going bankrupt yes me too okay wow this sucks okay yeah uh, what can we do uh, and then start to collaborate and and ask questions together instead of all trying to to find our own way uh, i think that's been that's been interesting Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. It's always great to chat. And also, you're, you're always doing so much for the industry, always at the vanguard of these kind of positive changes that we as the Chef's Manifesto are promoting. <laughs> Your kind of show of importance to investing in livelihoods and making sure that 
even as a fine dining restaurant that you're acknowledging people in lesser fortunate situations and making sure that food is actually accessible and affordable for all is brilliant. Thank you so much, Tom. It's good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, you too. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Mark Graham, Director of Culinary at Kellogg's. Chef Mark has over 20 years experience managing multiple food operations from home kitchen recipe editing and testing to commercial food preparation and large scale manufacturing. Mark reflects on the impact of the pandemic on his work environment, in food development and on some of the challenges and opportunities faced working as a chef leading culinary at Kellogg's during this time. Chef Mark Graham, a very warm welcome to the Chef's Manifesto podcast. Thanks, Tom. Very good to be here with you. Thanks for including me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. So our first question is, what is the impact of the pandemic on your work environment in food development? Um, well, the health and welfare of our colleagues is really paramount, right? It's without exception. Uh, and as a business, uh, collectively, we moved forward uh, to put travel restrictions in place and, and we shifted employees to work remotely, which was a, a brand new thing for Kellogg. Uh, in our kitchens specifically, we put an advanced uh, sanitation process in place with health protocols that align with the advanced protocols we use within our R&D facilities in, in light of the pandemic, obviously. Um, and, you know, working in a commercial kitchen, we have an abundance of smallwares, you know, and, and ovens and compared to home kitchen. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that our culinary team could get back in the kitchen as soon and as safely as possible. Um, but obviously, uh, we have to put these great health protocols in addition to our phased approach of returning back to the office in place. So uh, the impact has been interesting. It's been really interesting. And can you tell us a little bit about some of the other challenges and even opportunities that you've seen through this? Sure. I think I can talk about three things, right? Team engagement being one of them, translating the home kitchen into commercial uh, food product design, and then some sort of virtual communication theme as well. You know, team engagement's really critical. When you work in a kitchen, you're constantly around people who are in the same mindset you are. Taste this, try this. And, you know, I'm a single guy living in Chicago. I've been in my apartment now for 120 some odd days in a big city that's totally shut down. So, you know, for me, not great. I am grateful to have a boss and colleagues uh, who check on me and family that's checking on me on a regular basis. But I'm also really mindful of how I'm supporting my team as well and making sure that they're well and that we don't lose our team's great momentum. So, Team engagement, virtual, and communication style has been different, but effective, right? I think translating the second thing, really, really translating our home kitchen into uh, commercial recipes. And I, I would guess that a lot of Chef Manifesto colleagues are experiencing the same thing. If you don't have access to your commercial kitchen, I'm watching Justin Smiley, who's out on Long Island, and he's turned barrels into smokers and so forth. So we've been very clever, right? And we have to ask ourselves, how do we collectively or collaboratively create a non-commercial recipe if the teen's working from home. And, and then how do we do that you know, while shopping in a grocery store once a week that doesn't always have ingredients that are available, right? And then how do we make those formulas into commercial recipe? And then really, once we get that phase of scale up in very, very small scale, uh, we move back into our commercial kitchen. We want to ensure that it's safe 
and how do we operate with the challenges of wearing a mask and having a skeleton crew, uh, but at the same time not losing momentum of design. And so that has been very effective. That was there was a huge learning curve there at first, but we've been very successful at that, and it's been kind of rewarding to see that come together. You know, ingenuity or necessities is created ingenuity, right? And then you know, lastly, this theme around virtual communications. This situation certainly presents itself with several op opportunities to explore how we create and how we share our gold standards, um, and how do we communicate that virtually, and all the logistics that align with that. At the same time, not we don't want to lose momentum in R and D. So uh, amazingly, and even the virtual communication we have right now, right, virtual communications, advanced delivery systems, uh, and ingenuity have paid off. I think some of these new tools will actually become sort of a regular habit, uh, not just for the near future, but I think in some cir circumstances, this might be the preferred way that we that we continue to communicate. So virtual communications and sharing gold standards has brought a whole new level of watching people eat virtually as opposed to being in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive to hear that you've been able to take the efficiency that you already had and the momentum that existed of such a large company or corporation into this more virtual space. I think too, in some ways, it's also been more intimate. When you're on these these calls, it tends to be very business. And so it's a lot more intimate and a lot more efficient. I think the communication allows us to be, I don't know, allowed to communicate a lot more effectively and, and quickly. It's been good. It's been really good. It's new, you know, and I would say it's evolving. Okay. So just to wrap up, I'd love to know what is your reflection or advice for chefs on how to build back better after the pandemic? That's a very hard question to ask. And, and I get very emotional when I think about the restaurant business. I realized on a chef's manifesto call several weeks ago, when there were several hundred chefs on the call that I was probably one of the very few who was working full time and, and had access to my kitchen. And so it's very heartfelt. I think, you know, the restaurant business globally has changed forever. This pandemic has lifted this a veil of financial fragility in and around the restaurant business. It's exposed how some restaurants operate day to day and in some instances, customer meal to customer meal. I think out of necessities, Restaurants are creating new ways of working. And as we move through this collectively, we'll discover new ways that'll be a direct reaction to the situation. I think it's clear, I think, you know, to most in the business that we'll need to be making and selling affordable foods in, in a way that we haven't seen before, especially with the expected uh, unemployment rate globally. Uh, even even if restaurants do come back in some way very quickly, which is highly unlikely, we'll have a lot of people who probably can't afford to eat in a restaurant. And so I think one of the really interesting things is this coalition of chefs we have via the Chef's Manifesto. We can collectively look at ways to survive together and continue to inspire each other. You know, that's a big silver lining. And as we slowly recover out of this, I think that we allow for a future that really supports affordable foods that taste great in a way that we haven't done before. You know, I think it's sort of unprecedented and it's kind of cool to watch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your wonderful insight. It's been, I think this is a really good addition to the to the final episode of this series. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks very much. I appreciate your time, Tom. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Bye.
Manal Alalem is an Egyptian TV chef, cookbook author, and columnist who has focused much of her career on encouraging women's involvement in the culinary industry by leading specialized courses for women, as well as setting up the Manal Club, a network of 6,000 women working in food. She is a champion of Middle Eastern cuisine and a YouTube food sensation. Additionally, Manal has published several cookbooks, including Manal Alalem Kitchen. Today, we discuss Manal's experiences of lockdown and how it has affected the role of women in the hospitality industry. We also talk about the importance of social media, especially as the world went into lockdown. Chef Manal, welcome to the podcast. You're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> it's such a pleasure. So you're a household name in large parts of the Middle East and huge on social media. What has your experience been during the lockdown and what role has social media and the internet played in your experience? Actually, I don't want to say that was the best ever time in my life, you know, because I start to my life every single day. I am live on all my social, all the platforms. I, I uh, present like a cooking show for one hour every single day. Wow. Yeah, it was really good chance because, you know, I wanted people just to start to know me more and I know them more and support uh, housewife during this critical time because, you know, it was uh, confusing how to prepare the food, how what to eat. So it was a challenge for me to show life for one hour. It was, especially in Ramadan, you know, it was a very hard time. <laughs> but I'm so happy to do it. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. What an important thing to be able to do as well, and through social media, to be able to support, yeah, housewives that really, I imagine, may have been on lockdown. Did you have a lockdown? Yes, of course. And so do you believe that the pandemic has had an effect on the role of women, um, specifically in hospitality? Of course. I'm talking about uh, the women who's really suffering to control their family, lifestyle, uh, to manage the low income, you know, most of the men's now, they are not working, they have a lot of trouble, they are staying at home with no work, no business, no money. And uh, here is the woman where you should uh, really consider her role, how to manage this, how to keep her family healthy with the minimum income of money. And uh, it's really a challenge. And, and it's still now. It's, uh, they are challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know a little bit about restaurants in your part of the world. Have they started reopening? Yeah, they start reopening. Uh, of course, there is rules and there is very, very organized. Actually, as I'm based in Dubai, I'm really happy to being in Dubai and this time because it's very well organized. And what we noticed that even the people who live in Dubai are really very cooperative. This is very important that two parts, uh, not only the, like, let's say the government, they will lay the rule, but also the people who live here are really, I want to thank everybody in Dubai for their perfect performance. And especially in restaurant, you know, recently, this is like maybe a couple of weeks or maybe last, uh, maybe last weeks, Dubai Chamber of Commerce launches a restaurant business group. This is for the first time just to help to unifying voices of the Dubai restaurant sector, because it's very important sector in Dubai. 
it's very, very important, like all over the world, not only, but Dubai is a special. Uh, restaurants here is a good business and it was huge from all over the world. So I believe this uh, restaurant business group will do a very vital role to uh, addressing uh, common issues, helping restaurants sector play native and challenge and adjust the new normal lifestyle for restaurants. It's a it's, uh, challenge. But uh, but uh, they are reopening uh, under new guidelines and it's doing well. Yeah, really good to hear. Um, and so, yeah, before we finish, it would be lovely to hear your advice, really, for chefs and home cooks on how you feel like we can build back better from this difficult time. Thank you for this. this is a great question. I, From my experience that most of the chefs, when they open restaurants, usually they put their self in their restaurants, right? <laughs> and uh, they put their best food and recipes and all these things. Now we have to consider something else, that the customer are worried. Mm-hmm. So you have to consider this, that you want to give them peace, uh, give them safe, give them more information about your restaurants. Yeah, because, you know, even if they are going to five-star restaurant, they want to understand the hygienic, the what we are cooking. And the, so I think this part should be considered more by chefs that introduce more knowledge about your restaurant, what you are offering, because, you know, most of the people now are looking for the food who can increase their immunity. They can, they make sure it's a local product to keep the sustainable. Also, they, they are mo- feeling more responsible about the universe. I believe everybody now is more aware that uh, we have a rule. So customer now want to know not only what you are cooking in your menu, they want to know more about your restaurant, your beliefs, your uh, responsibility about the universe. So I ask every chef, just be happy, be back, present your dishes with uh, love and uh, give more information about your food and everything will be okay. I hope that. <laughs> I'm sure of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Such brilliant, practical advice. And mm-hmm. obviously, it's completely in line with our chef's manifesto, the importance of education on food safety and healthy diets. It's yes. it's not just about educating our chefs, is it? It's about educating the customers on customers. how we operate so they can show trust in what we're doing. Exactly, because now they are more involved about food because I think this with COVID-19, there is a twist happen about Every person is aware and he's more aware what I'm eating, why I'm eating this and what I want to eat. There is like a twist about they're uh, aware about what they are eating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's, uh, I mean, that awareness can only be a good thing, I imagine. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to say for our listeners or... Uh, I want to say that everybody should be quiet and happy. Just go for healthy food and everything will be nice and great because our uh, positive energy will help us to get the happy life and we will make it. We can do it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for all the team. Thank you, Tom. All the best. Thank you so much, Manal. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Last, but definitely not least, it's my great pleasure to welcome Canadian chef Suzanne Barr to the podcast. Chef Suzanne is one of North America's most respected chefs, who starred on the acclaimed documentary The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution, and featured as a resident judge on Food Network Canada's series Wall of Chefs. Suzanne is a lead example of the chef's manifesto in practice. Throughout her work, she advocates for food security, people of colour, mental wellness, equal pay for equal work, LGBTQ, nutrition literacy and food source sustainability. In today's conversation, Chef Suzanne inspires us with her personal experiences as a chef through the pandemic and her advocacy for equity. Chef Suzanne Barr, it is an honour to have you on. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So to start with, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your experiences as a chef um, during the pandemic. You know, um, I will say I remember so clearly March uh, 15th or 16th when we closed our doors at our restaurant um, and feeling very uncertain and unsure of what to tell our staff, because I think we had heard so much that was um, coming through so many news junkets and listening in and really trying to anticipate what the province was going to do. But I think we as a restaurant had to make a very clear decision and we prepared, you know, packages for our team for food that we didn't want to go to waste. And it had been like really, truly kind of a bit surreal um, having an extended amount of time away from our kitchen, having an extended amount of time away from our staff, our, our community, our customers, um, which was also very unknown and uncertain. And to be quite honest, it was like it felt um, a bit freeing because I have a five-year-old son and my husband and I run the restaurant together. And that was the first time that we could actually remember that we were having dinners together for like months on end. It was uh, it was a little, it was overwhelming trying to like unpack like, what do we do? Should we go to takeout? Should we not? Safety. What are we hearing? Trying to not overload yourself with too much of the news that was 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 coming at you from every direction. And trying to just make a decision that felt really true and authentic with for in consideration to our staff and our partners. So Yeah, well I'm I'm glad you were able to find some good uh, within it. It's yeah, such a challenging time, but you're right. It's a hard life as a chef, isn't it? Yeah. And and it's good. It's really good to be able to spend some time with your family uh, when you can. Things are starting to reopen now, are they? Things are starting to. We have stepped into um, phase three. Our phase actually two is when restaurants were actually allowed to operate with um, patio offerings here in, in Toronto. Um, however, uh, unfortunately, we have closed our doors officially as a restaurant. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, that's quite all right. I mean, um, my decision was made for me, um, not by me, but by our, our partners that had larger ideas or bigger ideas. And they did not share those ideas with myself and my husband. We were left in the dark. We were dealing with um, a partnership that was based on sweat equity and based on someone with their financial, you know, and I think as any chef out there, can understand the work that we put in as well as the team that we bring along on these journeys, we far exceed the, uh, the, 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 any salary, any rate, any 
compensation that actually would validate what the work that we put in. And unfortunately, with all of our attempts to try to um, speak with our partners and to come to an agreement of how we continue to run the business, they didn't see that the restaurant industry has any real possibility of coming out of COVID alive. And that was really discouraging because I'm a very strong activist in the city of Toronto. I'm a very loud voice. I, I make myself very informed of what is happening. And this province has created almost task force to support and help restaurants. But a lot of that task force hearing and, and learning has become clear to me that a lot of people that are making these decisions don't know anything about restaurants. <laughs> they have no idea what we actually need. And with the benefits and the support that the government has been offering, that to them has been enough that they can offer at the time. But it just just isn't enough, especially when um, the economy relies so heavily on small and independent restaurants. And we can see from the United States to Canada that if this continues to downward as it's going, more businesses closing, that you'll start to see a surreal collapse of our economy and a long-term effect that's not just going to be in the next six months, but that could be in the next two to five to 10 years from now, you will still see the effects of small businesses closing. Now, someone could say, well, keep in mind, like restaurants open and close so regularly, but it has also so much to do with the intention behind those restaurants, the people that really rely on those restaurants, the impact of what those restaurants and what we tried to do at our restaurant was really keep the voice alive and around what the food that we were bringing about, which was soul comfort food, making people feel connected through the food, through the conversation and through the awareness of how black food, black voices Indigenous voices, POC voices are, are necessary in this industry and that we are most of the work that is carried out in most restaurants and many cities around the world are typically executed by BIPOC folks. And, you know, we are also the ones, some of the most vulnerable folks that are always seem to be um, uh, the most vulnerably used and passed down and silenced and attempted to try to overlook. And enough is enough. You know, I'm, I'm making, doing my part to make sure that my story becomes very clear. It's very known what happened. I made it a very social conversation and I'm continuing to do that as well. As an activist, and I understand of the Black Lives Matter movement as well, which has seen a recent resurgence kind of in the shadows of the pandemic, do you think that's having an effect on our hospitality industry and its future? Or how can we boost that movement to make sure that it does? Well, I think that individuals like myself and many other in individuals and organizations um, Black Lives Movement, um, Toronto to not nine to five. I mean, I can rattle off a bunch of names, but these are all really uh, provincial Toronto based uh, organizations and individuals and making sure that our message isn't just to try to for some people thinking we're going to cry and say, you know, oh, oh, this is a this is a race thing, because the reality is, is that. It is a race thing, but this is also ingrained in the work that we do in hospitality. You know, like it is, it's a part of the institution of, of thinking, the institutionalization of thinking about what 
and how food makes it to people's tables and how it got there. We talk about the history of tipping. We talk about the history of all of these cultures that are embedded into what this industry is about and what the foundation is. And from the core up, it needs a reset. It needs a new imagination. It needs to be reimagined, a new way of approaching this, a new way of, of, of valuing people and their roles and their positions. It needs to value how businesses are funded, how businesses are supported when pandemics and epidemics come and they hit. Because a lot of the times the funding and the support doesn't always reach the folks that need it the most. And most of the times those are the most vulnerable folks. And it's also the cuisine that those folks are producing and having conversations about. And then we can look at the people that come from those countries of the food and that those people and that food and that culture looks like myself and many other BIPOC folks. And it's necessary that we understand that it's not just a conversation to just say Black Lives Matter. It's about a movement, a change, an interpretation that's not just one sided. It's about a reframing you know, dismantling what has currently been happening for so many years and giving it some new birth, some new left, some new voices to be able to lift it up and re really, really just distribute and, and campaign and, and create some new opportunities for so many folks that need it more than anyone else in, in this industry. So much value in what you're telling us. And I think as the Chef's Manifesto, it's something that we need to talk about more as well and to bring into the conversation so that we can help our chefs kind of transform the industry like you're describing. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's one thing for, you know, us as chefs to, to lead our brigades and lead our teams in our kitchens and in front of the house, back of the house and, and trying to create equal pay for equal work to be able to create safe, inclusive spaces. These are all the things that we know fundamentally are not happening, but then add on this other like huge part of the struggles and the challenges of being in a restaurant and then not being able to be seen or heard and that you're not valued because maybe you're not a manager or maybe you're not an owner or maybe you're not the head chef or maybe you're just not, you know? And these are the conversations that I am really, really excited to be a part of because this is the work that's hard work. This is the building stones, the stepping stones to starting something that's really, really infectiously going to happen. And we see it. And I think I'm a part of a lot of incredible communities here in Toronto that I'm, I'm happy to, 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 to be a part of. And I'm looking forward to having more of these conversations globally and to hear what more people are, are having to say about this. Absolutely. And before we go... I'd love to hear from you what you think's next. How can we build back better from this? Well, I think, you know, it's it's easy to say do what's just and fair in your city. But I think that that is absolutely necessary. But I think it's also looking at the global movement of what's happening. This pandemic didn't just affect us in Toronto. This affected the world. If this was the one time in our generation that we actually were literally thrown on our asses, and told to stay home and to think and to stop and to slow down, then by God, if we don't take this message as like a moment to like, like to really think about what it is and who we want to be on the other side of it, I don't know what else more than we, than we need to be doing other than we need to adhere to what is happening. We need to listen in. We need to find empathy. We need to find um, perseverance. We need to find all those things that we are ingrained with 
and we need to uh, be able to extend it and connect it to the other folks that are around the world that are going through the same challenges and struggles and know that you're not alone. There are ways that we can create a unifying movement for us in the hospitality industry that can really open up so many more doors and we can see a lot more clear than how we're seeing right now. Wow. I love the way you talk so passionately. It's so powerful. Yeah, I'm feeling inspired. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. All the best and and have a great day. (laughs) You too. Chefs and restaurants across the world have been faced with unprecedented challenges, and I know many of our listeners will have too. This was the last episode of Chef's Manifesto podcast season two, and we are therefore especially keen to hear from you. We'd love to hear about your own experiences of the pandemic, what stories you liked in this season, and importantly, what you'd like to hear from us next. So please subscribe, rate, and comment below. And that's it for this season. I've been your host, EcoChef Tom Hunt. I very much hope you've enjoyed all our conversations as much as I have. See you next season. There are eight thematic areas. Ingredients grown with respect to the earth. Friendly to oceans. Protection of biodiversity and improved animal welfare. Investment in livelihoods. Value natural resources. And reduced waste. Waste is recyclable. Waste is unnecessary. Waste is criminal. Celebration of local and seasonal food. A focus on plant-based ingredients. Education on food safety. And healthy diets. Nutritious food that is accessible and affordable to all. Chefs. Politicians. Suppliers. Farmers. Educators. Chefs together can change the world. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved. (laughs) 